Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm Topher, and as always, it's a pleasure to be here with Billy. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here with you too, buddy. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm well. I'm well. That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. I'm ready to act in self-defenestration myself. Yeah. Yep. Done with today. But I'm here with you, and that's fun. Clearly, it's gotten better. It clearly has. Certainly gotten better than when I watched this heap of crap. Am I right? Am I right? (laughs) No. (laughs) So, what did we watch this week, buddy? Uh, Throwback week. Yes. We've gone to sci-fi classic, well, general cinema classic, 2001 A Space Odyssey, directed by some guy called Kubrick. That's right. And I had never seen this film until you made me watch it. Why do you hate movies, Billy? I don't hate movies. I really love movies. I really, really, really love movies. But as you know, and there are plenty that you've missed as well. Plenty. That just slip through the cracks and you intend to watch them. But that's what I love doing this show because it gives you that little flame up your ass that says you have to watch this right now. Exactly. Um, Could you maybe tell me a little bit about your viewing experience of this film? How did you go about it? You're only asking me this because you know how I watched it. The kids at home don't. Well, for starters, I watched it as it was intended in two sittings. Yep. Yeah, there is an intermission. I did stop the first sitting probably about half an hour before the intermission, but I watched it in two sittings as intended by Kubrick. Mm. And why was it that you had to break up the the viewings? Well, mostly because I got really sleepy watching this movie. (laughs) No, I'm I'm teasing. Uh, I I was on a plane. Yes. Watching on a phone. On a phone, yeah. I, t- I told you I'd watch on my laptop or tablet, but I did go with my phone in the end. Don't tell Chris Nolan. <laughs> I know you I know you two speak regularly. <laughs> I mean, we're good buddies. We- <laughs> I would leave that out of your next correspondence with Nolan, that you watched 2001 for the first time on a phone. Yeah. In your defence, there was someone on the plane... You were right next to me on the plane watching on your phone, and I was like, don't look at Billy, don't look at Billy, don't look at Billy. You don't want to, like, invoke – you don't want to bring in, like, the Heisenberg effect yeah, of me watching you watching it affecting your watching it. Also, I've got a very good poker face, though, so I was hoping that you couldn't tell my level of enjoyment. The person on the other side of me was watching Lady Bird. I was like, good choice. Yep. Good for you. But also reading a magazine. Oh, you don't do that. I was like, come on. Lady Bird deserves – okay, in their defence, maybe they've seen it before and like, oh, yeah, I really like this film. I'll put it on, but I can also do this. But being the judgy prick that I am, I was like, you monster. You, I mean, you don't, you don't do it. Like, we played a lot of Mario Kart on the plane. Oh, T. Not while watching 2001. No. No. <laughs> what, was the, what was the other person watching? Well, I thought you were going to bring up that someone on the other side, next to Lady Bird, someone was watching Young Sheldon, and I thought you were just going to compare about, you know, the trash. We've got, <laughs> we've got Cinematic Masterpiece on my left and Young Sheldon on my right. Yeah. Now, okay, getting back to me trying not to be judgy, I've never seen Young Sheldon, nor will I. No, I don't think there's a need to. But, yeah. <laughs> it looks pretty crap. Good grief. And, but how did you view it this week? Happily, my local cinema was showing it last weekend. Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen it, hadn't had the chance to see it before in a cinema, so I was pretty pumped about that. Yeah. And I, it's the first time I've seen it. You, you mentioned the intermission before. Yeah. I've never seen it with an intermission. Like, oh, really? on, on my DVD of it, there's no intermission. Really? Which I find reasonable, given it's two and a half hours long. Yeah, it doesn't need an intermission. This film's the same length as, like, Infinity War. Yeah. It's not Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) It doesn't, although I would say that it is more, it takes a lot more mental work 
than something like Infinity War. Like, I can see how mentally watching this film, they might have thought, let's give people a little break here. But that being said, yeah, it doesn't need- No, I was, was, yeah, got to this point and I was like, wait, what? So that's cut out of your DVD, but they played that in the cinema? Yeah. And did people get up or did everyone just sit there watching? After a few minutes, people were like, oh, this is this is a thing. How long is the intermission when they played it in the cinema? Because I, I skipped over the intermission because I was like, well, I don't need to sit here um, through this. It was 15 or 20 minutes. Wow. Was, yeah, it was a proper break. Yeah, that is a long intermission. Yeah. Right. Uh, but anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed as as I tend to anytime I get a chance to see. Like in recent years, my local cinemas had like The Godfather and Blade Runner and I've been like, yeah. sick nuts. Yeah, those retro screenings are pretty awesome. And it's just like watching movies in a cinema is a different experience. It is. And I must say, you gave me shit about watching this on the plane. And the only reason I did it is because my week was stacked and I wouldn't have had time to watch this movie otherwise. But yeah, like this is a movie for a big screen viewing. Like I can see... I was actually jealous that you got to go see this at the cinema and I missed the session because that is how this film is intended to be seen. Mm. So should we get into it? Let's get into it. So clearly, I mean, I love Space Odyssey. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said, hey, let's watch it. Yeah. What do you think about Space Odyssey? You want to go straight there? Yeah. All right. Great movie. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a very, 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 very well-made movie. But I must say, I don't think it's a perfect movie nor do i i think structurally for me i don't think it works a hundred percent of the time the way that the film is structured and everything i mean really what makes this movie great is the filmmaking it's the composition of shots it's the cinematography the visual effects still for the most part hold up insanely well it's 50 years old yeah the soundtrack is probably the best soundtrack that's ever and so this is not a score this is a soundtrack And this is probably, I mean, it's still classical music, but this is probably one of the first soundtracks, you know? Like, people think of soundtracks these days and they think of things like Reservoir Dogs and Guardians of the Galaxy. But this is probably the first time a soundtrack had been put together. Mm. And it's, I mean, it's such a giant bit of the film and it's so insanely well used that for how many people, I'm speaking for you here, I assume I'm right, correct me if I'm wrong, if... You know the intro music oh, to everybody. 2001. And how many people don't know the name of that bit of music? It's for so many people, it's the Space Odyssey music. Exactly. Yeah. And it just, and it's been, you know, when it's used in Clueless, for instance, yeah. it's not used as that bit of music. It's, it's used, used as, as the Space Odyssey. It's to music. evoke memories of that film. Yeah. Also, oh. when, it's, when it's used in Clueless, amazing, amazing. <laughs> as most things about Clueless are. Better than this, for sure. Unfair to compare anything to Clueless. <laughs> People don't believe me that I love Clueless. It's a great. I actually rewatched it last week. It's awesome. <laughs> it's really good. As I've said in the past about other movies like this that you've made me watch that I've missed, part of the reason I miss it for so long is because it is such a huge part of the pop culture phenomenon that I feel like I've watched it. Going into this movie, it didn't feel like a new experience for me because, like you said, with the intro music, everybody knows it. I knew about the opening segment with the apes. Of course, everybody knows about the HAL 9000. So that's part of the reason that I hadn't yet gotten to this is because I was like, well, do I need to get to it? I'm very glad I did, though. So speaking of that intro music, there is two minutes and 15 seconds 
of this film before any visuals at all. It's the one bit where I did kind of engage with you because you were looking at me like there's something wrong with my yeah. with, with this video. Before we even get the MGM logo, there is two minutes, 15 seconds of black with classical music. Yeah. I So I went, when I saw it on the weekend, there were four of us that went. Two, two of us had seen it before, two hadn't. Yep. And I said, okay. And I was just telling them about you watching on the on the phone. And I said, okay, mild spoiler here. There's nothing wrong with the projector for the first two minutes. If you're thinking, oh, this cinema done messed up, no, it's it's black. Yeah. For how long was it? Two minutes and 15 seconds. Is that to evoke an unsettled feeling? Because as a viewer, that's not what we're used to. Is that why you suspect that was done or was that just done? Yeah, I think it's to put you in a, in a frame of mind. Lawrence of yeah. Arabia does the same thing. You get the overture before the film starts. Yeah. So- um, and I, I rate it. I yeah, I actually enjoyed it. Like I was, it did, it unsettles you because as a viewer, that's not the regular cinema experience. When that starts, you go, okay, I'm in for something different here. And there's, you know, speaking of how long you go without absolutely nothing and getting back to what you were saying about the film really being told through the cinematography and what a visual film it is. Mm-hmm. The first line in the film comes 25 minutes in and there is then no dialogue for the final 23 minutes. Yeah. Now, some of this I like. I, I I, very much enjoy that there is no dialogue, obviously, during the dawn of man. Makes sense. That makes total sense. The thing that structurally- The dawn me of around, humans. Sorry, the dawn of humans. Thank you, Stanley. If That's we can right. go, we'll do a fan edit. <laughs> yeah. The dawn of humans. <laughs> the, the thing that kind of throws me around a little bit about the structure is that once we get into the film proper- and you do start your dialogue and your narrative and stuff, there are still interspersed kind of three to five minute long segments. Space walk, for instance. Yeah. And some of those really work, but it can be very jarring when you've gone from a very structured dialogue heavy scene to that. And the dialogue in the film, some of it's great, some of it's not very good and not very well acted. The the best part of the film, arguably, is that middle chunk with the HAL 9000. That, for me, is brilliant the segment we get before that with our fellow a bit with that bloke with the guy going to the moon and there's that whole scene where he's talking to them about uh his cover story basically that scene for me just doesn't really work how do you like oh, i quite like that scene yeah um, i don't it's not like the most engaging part of the film or whatever but it does also then pay off later on it does with, i just with the video message yeah i just found that the um the dialogue was very flat. More than anything, the acting was extremely flat. And even the cinematography in that section really takes a nosedive. Like that scene where they're sitting there, and it's probably a good 10-minute scene of discussion, you get a lot of very plainly constructed shots of just people sitting at a table talking. And that's what's happening in the scene. But then when you go from you could, that to these beautiful the shots of the space station. Yeah, it just... Yeah, I find those segments really drag it down. So apart from our beautiful kind of space shots and the dawn of human, which is a really well nicely shot sequence, like I was saying, most of the dialogue scenes and everything kind of fall flat for me, except for the HAL 9000 sequence. That set and the way the cameras are on such weird angles and everything just makes you feel so claustrophobic. Like that to me is the only bit that's like really shot for a certain intention to give you like a feeling and it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, another another sequence that I love camera work wise is actually on the 
when he's when they're on the moon base and actually go to the monolith. Yeah, I think that sequence is just is brilliant. Yes, is that the one that everything's kind of got there's a the green? Fl- there's and the floodlights. Yeah. around the monolith. That is a great looking sequence. It's I awesome. Mean, just about any frame from this film, I feel like, could be just hung on a wall. Yeah, it's- and you know, particularly with that sequence, you like. You can understand where the tinfoil hat people are coming from <laughs> yeah. with Kubrick filming the moon landing. You're like, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just for the record, though, we did land on the moon. Did we, Billy? We did. Yeah, I think <laughs> it happened. Yes. <laughs> Someone was telling me a friend of mine has – so a friend of a friend – I've never met this person, but a friend of mine was telling me that a friend of theirs, he was like totally rational person, not a total weirdo, but they've got their one thing – is that we didn't go to the is moon. Is that we didn't go to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Why? Well, I know, and of course, because then The Shining is his admission. Yeah. That, that he staged it, obviously. <laughs> Everyone has their weird things, you know? Like, you, you, you've got your mate who's a perfectly normal dude but eats out of dumpsters. <laughs> loves, loves a bin loaf. <laughs> um, speaking of old mate going... To the moon station where we the, the soundtrack we've got the waltz at that point with these things spinning 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 yes beautiful sequence it is and it's stunning to think you don't think about it but we didn't have a good idea of what earth looked like from space yeah. when this film was made yeah and if you said to if you said to me draw if i if you've never seen the earth from space and say draw it i would think that the usual human reaction would be to put in the continents whereas what this film does and what it, and which is fairly close to reality is it's just blue and white yes yeah and you get the, the more kind of atmosphere surrounding the earth it's a pretty it was a pretty stunning bit of foresight yeah oh, the visuals across the board are beautiful that every intricate bit of design of each of these space stations the planets the every set piece in this film is stunning the only thing that doesn't hold up for me is the apes themselves which it was 50 years ago so that's fine i can't believe how beautiful this movie is it is still a great looking film i didn't have time to do any research but you i was wondering are are the space stations themselves miniatures or miniatures yeah yeah and they were kubrick no surprise was really involved in all of that and in the the dirtying up of them which yeah you know this is better part of 10 years before star wars which was we still praise for the the dirty future look um kubrick was insistent that these things should look like they'd been used yeah and was a big part of how and how they should be lit. And oh, I was just about to come to the lighting, which I'm sure you'll have some things to say about being the lensman here. But this has to have been one of the earliest cases of really brilliant cinematic lighting. Like I know that the first case obviously was Citizen Kane, because he had come from the theatre and he was the first person to say, "Let's not just light everything flat. Let's let's get some depth and, and movement going on with lights." But the lighting in this film is so like it's got to be one of the first uses of coloured lighting and stuff to that effect. The coloured lighting is, is, and I mean, there's iconic bits of, of nothing even lighting. now touches close to it. The sequence where where Bowman is shutting down Hal, oh, for instance. I mean, I haven't even got there, but that is the best sequence in this film by far. Isn't it funny that like how like you you knew about Hal going into this and Hal is when you think of Space Odyssey, yeah, you do think of Hal. Hal Nine Thousand is kind of a B. It, it's a B plot. Yeah, it's not re- what the film's about. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but everything about Hal is so brilliant. Like it was originally conceived that Hal would be a robot. But right. Then, then they decided, okay, wait, this is it's going to age too quickly. Yeah. And so they conceived of the red dot. Oh, it's such a brilliant piece of design. And it's 
still so brilliant. Yeah, every single shot of that. I don't care how many times they cut to that one straight on front central shot of that red dot. It it just works every time. This, it's so good. This infinitely patient, yeah. evil fucking <laughs> yeah. light. Yeah. It's just one of it is one of my Hal is one of my favorite screen villains. Period. Yeah. And that whole segment lands so well. Like the design of the entire space station, when you start with that wonderful sh- practical shot of the guy jogging on the walls in this circular space station, and you literally sit there wondering, how was this filmed 50 years ago? Yeah. Again, we've already had the um, the flight attendant do the the walk from yeah. you know, 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock, essentially, yeah. um, in, in a previous segment. It's just like- I mean, it must have blown this. Like I said, this is almost ten years before Star Wars. Yeah, it must have. Can you imagine what it was like? No, seeing this in a cinema. No, I can't imagine what this would have been like fifty years ago. It really would have knocked your socks off, particularly because it's the late sixties and you were probably high as a kite. Well, that's an interesting part. I'm I'm assuming that you know this, but that's effectively how they marketed it as eventually because it was so polarizing. You know, they actually got a ton of negative reviews. Yeah. So then they started marketing it as the best film to trip to. <laughs> and I yeah, think which that was literally on the posters. And that came from, I believe, that came from the cinemas. They were like, hey, who, MGM. They are like, hey, MGM, yeah. this is who's coming to the movie. <laughs> you need to get in, you need to hit the kids and say, take something and come and watch this. <laughs> it's like when I went to see Incredibles 2, they gave us a little, like, Incredibles badge or, like, I know, at Baby Driver, they were giving out, like, headphones. They should have just given out a little acid drops yeah. for this film. Yeah, there's your ticket, there's your LSD. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy Not that you even need to be on drugs. No. Touching again on, on Hal, we see Hal playing chess with pool on 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 the discovery spaceship they're actually the the computer playing chess is a real chess computer from the time right which was terrible <laughs> and kubrick was the bomb at chess and so he would just routinely fire up this thing and just absolutely pants it <laughs> and be like you suck al <laughs> so with a, with a lot of the scientists and stuff in this film <laughs> like the hell 9000 sequence in particular i was sitting there for a little while going what are these people meant to be doing? Like, Hal is basically running the mission. Most of the time we see Frank, he's, he's laying on a tanning bed, and then we get his buddy playing chess. Do these guys have a job? Because I'd like to be an astronaut if I just get to hang out on a tanning bed. Could the three people who are under, who are, who are asleep, yeah, who Hal murders, are they there potentially just to be the people who get to touch the monolith? So, okay. Which is why Hal kills him. He's like, no, nah, I'm going to get this evolutionary step's going to be for me. Right. You guys are dead. What do you think would have happened if Hal had interacted with the monolith? He would have become a USB drive. The computer that writes Michael Bay scripts. <laughs> the most <laughs> evil thing imaginable. What a terrible job that would be. <laughs> we should do that. We should train a bot to write a Michael Bay script. Just What's the one from Futurama called? Yeah, I forget. Hal would have become the evil version of that <laughs> robot. Another thing we've talked about is the the segments of the film and how they don't quite fit. This is this was something I'd se- that I've seen in a Have you seen the the documentary, the Kubrick documentary, A Life in Pictures? No, I've not. It's fantastic. Anyone with honestly, even if you're not a big Kubrick fan yet, yeah. If you're if you're a fan of cinema, track down Kubrick A Life in Pictures and watch it. It's amazing. And the segment on uh, Space Odyssey, there's a I think they're talking to another sci-fi writer, not not Arthur C. Clarke, who is in the doggo. But there's another guy who's saying that said that Kubrick's usual kind of way of piecing together a film was that he would concentrate on getting 
you know, a bunch of chunks yeah. of of screenplay. And, you know, when they were all kind of good, you put them together and there's your screenplay. And he says in 2001, you can, you can see it's most obvious in 2001 mm. because they don't quite fit together. Yes. Um, as, as you said, which I think is totally bang on. It, it works because it kind of... Yeah, it thematically ties together. And I think it is it is the settings and the themes and the cinematography is what ties it all together here. They're, like, there are definitely segments here that I think could be cut big time. But I'm willing to forgive it because in this case, the style is the substance. And so I'm happy to just let that slide and just look at the images up on the screen. Yeah, I totally agree with like... For instance, the famous um, the Stargate sequence. Yeah, the whole the the begin the first half of that with the the slit scan and everything is still awesome to watch. Yeah, it's still brilliant. The second half of it with the like the the negative exposure landscapes and stuff. Yeah, doesn't really work. Maybe at the time it it's was a little awesome. bit too trippy. Yeah, I was just all that stuff. I was like, oh, this actually isn't as cool. Yeah, and we've been on this for a while. Yes, because there are some sequences here literally just run for twenty minutes, mm. and. It's fine, but yeah, when it doesn't tie in with everything else around it, it can feel like it drags. After the after the slit scan, we get so and and this is the point where there's no more dialogue in the film for the final kind of chapter really of of Bowman being in his kind of his zoo enclosure essentially. Yeah. This that's how I think of it. It's like the, the whoever the alien force is in the film, whoever is behind the monoliths. Yeah has created this enclosure for Bowman. It's like, this is what people like. <laughs> and put in there, which I love. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, the zoo enclosure then leads us into the finale of the film, which, like, the, I remember the first time I watched this film, mm. I did not even pretend to know what was going on. <laughs> I was like, what just Happen. Well, I mean, do you think there is an understanding of what is going on? Like, do you think you have that now? I have an understanding of what I think it is, yeah. But And uh, I think uh, both Arthur C. Clarke and Kubrick are fine with whatever you think it is, that's fine. Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you, think that, do you think that they have an intention or do you think it is just art? I do think they have an intention. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and like that's my read on it is what I think they're doing, but it might not be right. Okay, so what do you think? Well, I th- so anytime we come into contact with the monolith, yeah, so, which we so we see it with the apes just yep. before they make the hammer bone. Yep, we see it again on the moon. Yep, because every time we touch it, it triggers this evolutionary. Yep. It unlocks an evolutionary n- kind of nudge. Yeah, in humanity. Yeah, and when they touch it on the moon, it's like okay, so you've gotten this far. So now we're going to get you to the next thing, which is the radio signal to Jupiter. Yeah. And then by the time we get, when Bowman gets there and gets transported into his zoo enclosure, yeah. the next thing that happens, the next evolution the of space step child is the star child. Yeah. And so what do you think is the intention of the story? The intention of the story, I think, actually is the experience of the story. That's what I think. I don't think, that's what I was saying before. When I feel like it's just art, I'm not sure that there's a, a message that we're supposed to be getting from the film. I think I think it's just an art piece. Yeah, I agree. When I f- when I first watch it, and I, and I feel the same way now. There's I don't I can't think of another film that is as much of an experience. Yeah, as Space Odyssey. Yeah, and I think that's in t- even in just the way it's constructed. Like we were saying, the intermission, the the intro mission, for lack of a better word, there's just two minutes of music before anything starts. I think that's all just to add to 
the experience of this film. I don't think it's there for any reason other than that. Mm. So it's a ton more like the amount of stuff you can like um like The Shining. If you want to like go down the rabbit hole with this film, you can do it. Like oh yeah, down to things like people's names who were reflective of Hindu things to do with the skies and like there's a heap of stuff. If you want to do what they did in the sixties, maybe drop something and, <laughs> <laughs> and just go nuts. Um, and like I said at the beginning, there are things that I can fault oh, about, yeah. about, about this film. The reason when I was came time to to give the film a, a rating on IMDb. Yeah, I'm really curious to hear this. The reason I still gave it a 10. You still gave it a 10? Is that I, my reasoning was how can I not give a 10 to what I think is the greatest cinema experience I've ever seen? That's even, fair. Even if it's not the greatest film I've ever seen. I do think it's also important in a case like this to look at the influences this film has had and say oh. if this film didn't exist, where would we be in cinema right now? And I guess you could argue that with so many films. You could look at Die Hard and say, where would the action genre be without this film, you know? But, yeah, with this case, there are so many things that this influence. Like, I feel like every young aspiring filmmaker should watch this movie. Anyone who wants to be a cameraman, who wants to work in visual effects, who wants to be a director should watch this movie because so many of those parts of the craft are so well done. Anyone who wants to be a computer that kills people. Yeah, do watch, it. Watch this. Yeah, <laughs> this is how you do it. Until, oh, he kind of, he's a failure, really. Uh, yeah. He just needs his chips taken out and then he starts singing like a canary. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, it's unnerving. When he starts singing. Yeah. It's pretty great. That scene is just the greatest, isn't it? Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Look, I'm going with a nine because th there's there's so much of this movie that is hard to fault, but I can't give it a 10 just based on those things that are flaws. Yep. But it's definitely, definitely one that you should watch. This Does this make this our highest collective score so ever? We've never had a 20, have we? No. Have we had another 19? I don't think so. This is probably our highest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Film nerds won't kill us for having <laughs> done it. The first Kubrick film we did is also our highest. So, yeah. At base, files, <laughs> back in your corners. <laughs> Very enjoyable experience. Yeah, I'm pleased you like it. I, I actually, um, I don't watch Space Odyssey very often. I, oh, I can see why. It's not the kind of thing you'd throw on just yeah, for funsies. I reckon I've probably watched it seven times. Yeah. Um, because, like, there's certain albums that are like this as well, where because the first time, particularly if the first time I saw or listened to it, it was such a stunning experience, I'm almost scared to go back to it because I'm afraid that it won't live up to it again. Yeah. And yet every time I do watch Space Odyssey, I'm just like, oh, Jesus, this is great. I mean, I would certainly, if it came on at the cinema again, I'd, I'd definitely try to get to that. Yeah. All right. Thank you for making me watch it. <laughs> You're quite welcome, Billy. <laughs> what are we watching next week? Next week, we're up to what is, as we understand, the best film of 2018. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Mission Impossible Fallout. Yep. Which I've never seen a Mission Impossible film. Do you think that I should try get to at least one this week before we get to it? Nah. Nah? You reckon I'm cool to fly in blind? I imagine so. I don't know. Okay, so I haven't seen whatever the last one was. Was that Ghost Protocol, Rogue that, Nation? Oh, which was which was one it of them. Was it Ghost Protocol then Rogue Nation? It was one of them. Because <laughs> I, I've okay, so I've seen one of them. Yeah, but I, whichever one of them came first is the one I've seen. Yeah, and I'm not fussed about the fact that I haven't seen the most recent one. Yeah, I think this is going to be more because I, I think it's more like going to a James Bond film. 
Yeah, okay. it doesn't matter if you haven't seen the last one. You just go in and because, like, Ethan Hunt has become American James Bond anyway. Well, there's an interesting question though, except that James Bond has often been recast. Yeah. Do, could well, you see this franchise continuing without Tom Cruise, or is Tom Cruise Tom Cruise is embedded not, in the franchise? Tom Cruise is not the original Ethan Hunt. What do you mean? The TV series Mission Impossible that the film oh, was based off. We're not counting that. Why not? Well, because we're looking at the film series. He's still not the first. Would you Would you feel the same way about Star Trek? Now you're blowing my mind. Whoa. <laughs> this is like the Stargate sequence all well, over again. That's different because they did do films as well, though. But even in the films, it was always Shatner. Anyway, I do feel like someone could pick up the mantle of running away from things. Well, supposedly his stunts are off the charts. Like, apparently the stunts that he pulls off in this. Did you hear he broke his ankle? I did. Yeah, apparently broke his ankle, just got up, kept running. I, cu- I couldn't even run without a broken ankle. <laughs> I took the stairs up here this morning. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. We've been talking about that. I can. My lungs are still burning, <laughs> and it was six hours ago. Would you like to tell the people how many flights we're up? It's five flights, five. but five commercial flights. Like they're big. They're big floors. Like the ceiling. That's a long way up there. Well, you've actually got to turn quite a few times. So it's actually ten. I'd say ten flights. Five floors, ten flights. Maybe twenty. Matt, could be. Could be twenty. <laughs> Did it feel like Oh, I felt it. <laughs> well, very much looking forward to Mission Impossible this week. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm so interested <laughs> because I haven't rated them at all to this point. Other than, like, I liked the first one. Other than that, I haven't rated them at all. Well, the opinion of someone I trust very much, Paul from The Countdown, he said that it was nearly as good as Fury Road. I mean, that's high praise. <laughs> I'm like I'm blown away by how good this film apparently is. Yeah. And now I'm just like, oh god, is this all going to come crashing down <laughs> when I see it and I'm like, no, everyone's wrong. <laughs> well, we'll really find out. Good. We will. We will. And in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or at wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all under the handle at wewatchedathing. Uh, please tell a friend about the show. Feel free to give us a rating. If you tell three friends and they tell three friends again. and they tell three friends, it's not a pyramid scheme. It just helps us out. It's not a scheme. Stop giving me that face. It's it's like our catch cry now. It's not a scheme. That's what concerns me. <laughs> Go watch a movie. Catch See you. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.